0: Guys, Thank you for listening to the Bridge to Bucktober podcast where we talk all about them Pittsburgh Pirates and that. Today is September 18th. The Pirates had a chance to lose three out of four games to win more than they lost in a week. And they couldn't get it done. Sweeping the Reds early in the week and then getting swept by the Mets in two four-game series for the weeks. In a nutshell, you had four games where you saw the potential and four games where you saw the reality and where they are right now. Let's get this yin-yang of a week, and let's just see if we can make sense out of all this. My name is Josh, and I am usually joined by my brother Jake, but he's not here this week. As we said last week on the show, uh, in his move and everything, he was not able to get his internet set up for today. I think it's being installed on like Wednesday or something like that, which he's going to be Back home at that point on I think Tuesday. I don't really know. There's all kinds of scenarios for him and um in in his in his move. But either way, he's not here this week. And um man, I spent the better part of this week sick. Um and really my whole family did. So I even failed to make phone calls and see if there was anybody else that I could get to join me this week. So uh you're just going to have me this week and that's just going to be okay. And wait for it. Uh pretty sure four people just clicked off of the podcast, so let's hope they come back next week. <laughs> uh anyway, um we kick this thing off with with some things to talk about. Um man, I this is the time of year um not just for us, but for pretty much everyone in a Pittsburgh Pirates fan life, where when you think of the things there are to talk about, there's a lot more negatives than there are positives. And this week is no different, despite the fact that we went into Cincinnati and swept the Reds in four straight games. Now, the Reds aren't having a great year either, but the point is, you win a four-game series is hard to sweep. And then we just allowed the New York Mets to do that to us, and so you had is especially the, the red series. Back to that. Let's stay positive as much as we possibly can uh, when you're doing a podcast like this. But you even swept a double header, which is another one of those things that you know we talk about all the time. is is just very hard to do. A lot of times you split. You never want to be swept in a double header, and you consider it icing on a cake when you can actually sweep it. But of all the things that were done well, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Those things went wrong over the weekend, Thursday through Sunday. And there's still, you know, if you're if you're really reaching, if you're really reaching for like positive things, there are still a few things that you could reach for and hold on to. But ultimately, when you get down to it, I mean, you got swept in a four-game series. And even the, the, there was a couple that we were in. Outside of that, um, that's not the case. So anyway, um, we're going to navigate this thing, and we're going to kind of get into a couple things in particular um, that I feel are are uh, kind of the important things this week. Um, but I, I just you know want to take a moment because of the fact that this is going to have a lot of of negative things. Like I said, it's just how this thing works, right? This is the time of year your team's on pace to lose 100 games. And so this is just one of those things that unfortunately, you know, we have to deal with as Pirate fans. This week, I got called a fanboy from someone trying to insult me. But let's try to get one thing clear here. I am a fan of the Pittsburgh Pirates. That's my home team. That's the, the home team. I root for my team, the Pittsburgh Pirates. The only thing I disagree with in that phrase is the word boy, 39 years old. I don't think I'm going to get too upset about being called younger than I actually am. And I think a lot of you would probably agree with that. The older you get, the younger you would like to be considered. Um, I'm not really worried about it. I'm a fan of the Pittsburgh Pirates, and I happen to host... A fan podcast of my favorite team. I don't get paid to do this. I'm not credentialed in any way. I have as much access to the players and the teams and as anyone as any other fans. So I'm just not sure what could possibly be offensive about calling someone a fan of the team that they're a fan of. And the only reason I bring this up is because there is something seriously wrong with the idea that people have, who the, 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 that follow this team in particular, and I'm sure that there's probably fans of other teams who will say these same sort of things, but people who follow this team and try to shame the people who are fans of the team. You're trying to shame a, a person for liking a baseball team, a home team, like you grow up watching this team. That's why they're your favorite team, right? We don't grow up and then make an intellectual decision to like any any particular team. Because if you did that, I think that most people would intellectually pick a team who's normally good. Now, generations before us, the Pirates were normally good, so I guess you could say that, but either way, that's your home team. There's absolutely nothing wrong with having a favorite team, regardless of who it is. So I'm just not sure why there is a culture that exists just to shame people for who their favorite sports team is or for where they grew up or anything like that. But that's all I have on that. Let's get into the week. Bucks Clippers. Diego Castillo's back. I think some people were excited about that. We've seen him. Seen him play a little bit this week. Hoy Park is back down. They optioned Tucapita Marcano to Indy, recalled Zach Collins, who's a catcher we just claimed off. He hasn't played catcher yet. He's been playing first. Um, I think this is just a way to try to get some some left-handed at-bats to kind of spell Michael Chavis a little bit. Maybe see what you got in him. I don't really know. Maybe he's also an option at catcher, possibly, moving forward. We know that that's a, that's a position of interest here. Um, designated Bly Madras for assignment and selected the contract and activated Luis Ortiz, who started one of the games in Cincinnati and... Uh, was really good. I mean, saw a lot of really good things from him. Seemed to kind of fly under the radar, Ortiz did, uh, most of the year. Hasn't really been putting up stellar numbers. But this is one of those examples of a guy who, you know, we like to we like to look up all the stats of all these guys and find out what they've been doing and how they've been doing and saying, this guy's ready because his, his statistics are great. But the guys who get to see these guys work out, the guys who get to see the uh, what those performances are, um, they know whether they're ready or not. They should know. Let, let's just league wide, right? I mean, we're just saying by what's your job? <laughs> not, we're not. We're not talking about whether or not the Pirates organization is doing everything perfect. We're we're literally just saying that there are scouts, there are coaches. And people that are with these players day in and day out who will say, hey, the numbers are great, but he's getting away with a curveball that he can't locate or he's, he's using this pitch to bail him out and the other pitches aren't there yet, things like that. Likewise, they could say, this guy really, he has the makeup, he's throwing well, he's been unlucky or... I think in Ortiz' case, maybe there's been some walk issues. Actually, no. No, his walks. I think we talked about that last week. I think his walks were great. Either way, I'm not going to pretend I know the ins and outs of Luis Ortiz and, and what he was doing right and what he was doing wrong. Instead, just pointing out the idea that somebody said, hey, this guy is worth it even though his numbers might not show it. And he looked to be worth it. There was a there was definitely like a maturity that we saw that we don't see. Now I'm going to be honest with you. We, we saw that in Miguel yahore when he first came up and it hasn't gone well for him. So I'm not saying this is a guaranteed This guy's in the rotation next year. All I'm saying is that there were, I, Luis Ortiz was not on my radar and he now is. Um, and we'll get to see him again because JT Brubaker today, well, Sunday was put on the 15 day injured list and Luis Ortiz was recalled. So He's gonna get more, and I, I'm excited to see if you know if that was a you know a one game or maybe even a little bit of a hot streak. I mean, he threw six no hit innings in his last start in AAA before coming up, so you know maybe some of that. But Madras in the middle of this, was designated for assignment. He has been claimed by Tampa Bay. I know he's, he's sort of one of those, uh, one of the fan favorites from some from some circles uh for pirate fans and a lot of that is because he's accessible and and is like a cool dude and I'm here for that uh but as we saw on the field and and we talked about this before the season started that I thought he would be one of the guys that would get an early shot because he was on the the upper side of he was on the up like the upper end of the age piece of that being 26 years old and so I really thought Fly Madrid needs a chance. He's hitting well in spring training. At the time, it was spring training, and then he did well when he went to AAA. And I just said, you got to see if he's if he's there. You got to see if he's there. If he can, if he can do this at the major league level. And you know, they gave him a pretty good cup of coffee there that didn't necessarily go well. And because of that, I don't think the, the Pirates were eager to get rid of him because of that. But I think when when it came time. And you saw the the depth in the outfield. Travis Swaggerty being a guy who hasn't really got that shot yet to see what he's made of at that level. And when you look at the depth and the fact that they're all left-handed with with Cal Mitchell and Swinski and and Swaggerty and Kanan Smith and Jigba, it, it makes it a pretty easy move. And you could even say that there's a couple infielders like Tukapita Marcano, JiHuan Bae, who's not on the 40-man yet, still in AAA. But a lot of people are calling his name. He's had a good year. They're they're all left-handed hitters, and so it begin it becomes pretty obvious. Hey, one of these guys has to be one of our guys. And I think with Zach Collins, with a little bit of first base experience, they were kind of hoping Madras could maybe uh, become that. And he he more or less didn't. And so this is when. This is when they made the move. And I, I, it's, I'm i just hard-pressed to disagree with it. You know what I mean? That's all. Dylan Peters, uh, Tyler Beattie, also uh, designated for assignment. I believe Dylan Peters, we already know, has been s- outright. He has not been claimed. Tyler Beattie, I thought, was DFA'd on the same day. But I don't remember seeing if he was claimed or anything. I actually just don't remember seeing that. But either way... That's some of the moves this week. Eric Stout's kind of I think he's he's there now. But games were really interesting this week. Um a lot of good things early in the week like we said, Rodolfo Castro continues to show up at the plate. Um I believe in one of the in one of the Mets losses it was Saturday. Let me look here. Yeah, Saturday, four hits for the Pirates, he had three of them including a double and a home run. But hit 8, 9, and 10 this week. Cruz hit, what, 15, 16, 17? Diego hit one. I thought we had the Cruz home run here, the first one. Cruz, yeah, 15, 16, 17 this week. Um, The lopsided win in, in Cincinnati was mostly late. Uh, but I'll welcome the offense at any moment. I really will. The one nothing game, the second game of the doubleheader was the Luis Ortiz uh, game. That was um, Pirates show up and get three hits, Cincinnati gets one. And it was a bullpen day for Cincinnati. You really felt like, well, you know, maybe we should have got more than that. But it was again, it was Castro hit a double, was driven in by Newman two hitters later. And that was all the offense in the seventh inning. But a well pitched game. Games like that are good. Jack Sawincy continues to struggle. Multiple games this week with with multiple strikeouts. Um, just continues to be a struggle. But just seeing things from different guys. O'Neill Cruz in his last two weeks over 300. You know, we talked about that. Um, you know, it's... You're only going to see clips of this right now. And I imagine that there's parts of that because you're in September, you're, you're mathematically eliminated from the postseason. It is, it is tough. And I try to, as much as I can, I always try to think of this as like, I feel like I'm a, I'm a pretty good employee at work. And I feel like there's a lot of thing There's a lot of things where like I can, I can just be on a roll, but then there are some times at work when, I don't really know what the scenario is. I can't, I have a hard time liking it because I go to work all the time. There is no end of anything, so I really have a hard time really associating this because I know that a lot of people say that's your job. Just go do your job, no matter if you're winning or you're losing. But the reason I say that is like our jobs are just different. They're they're if you're I guess you could liken it to like putting in your two weeks notice and at some, it's some jobs you put in a two weeks notice and it's a, uh, I got two weeks. I, I have to try to hand off all of my projects and, and maybe train the next guy if, if I get an opportunity to do that sort of thing. And so like in those scenarios, you would, you would be hurrying to finish things and stuff like that. But there is, the, there are those other scenarios where you put in a two weeks notice or something like that or maybe like a week before vacation depending on what kind of line of work you do where you have no projects because they're like, well, we don't want, you know, we can't give you anything because you're going to be gone for a week. And then you finish all your work and you're and you're sitting there wondering how how could I be of any help? <laughs> it still doesn't line up. It still doesn't line up with what they do. You still have a game today to win I, I don't know I don't see even from the pirates I, I don't see players for the most part just like cashing it in like ah this year's over but I do think that it would be hard for for like any certain one player to continue to push and to excel when those around him are not. When the guy in front of you is just in in any particular day, the box score that I have open right now is the 6-1 win that Oviedo started. We had homers from Hayes and Reynolds in this game and Cal Mitchell all in this game. But imagine like your key Brian Hayes, Kowinski's hitting right in front of you and he goes 0 for 5 with four strikeouts. Maybe this is an awful example, because Key Brian Hayes went two for four in that game with a, with a home run and a double. He had no problem uh, playing well, but I could imagine that being uh, difficult. I could imagine that. Four strikeouts. The golden sombrero for Jack Sawinski in that game. He had the hat trick of home runs earlier in the season. I mean, these things happen to players, but like for Jack, it's happening a good bit. He had four strikeouts again today. That's twice in one week. And I'm going to allow that to, just because I don't know where I was going with the last point, I, I'm not giving these guys a pass for not trying. They should try. They absolutely should try to win the game. But I think for the most part, players do. And I think we see that for the most part, players do. I guess I'm just saying that this would be a hard time to get super excited when you take a lead, knowing that that lead is really just for today. It's a much different scenario than when you're pushing to make the playoffs and you get a big win. It's just it's a little more exciting for the fans and for the players, I think. Um, You still get excited to win games, but when there's so much more on the line and it means so much more, it is a lot more fun. And I think you guys know what I'm talking about. But that's a rabbit trail, like I like to go on. The first thing here... Twenty strikeouts today. I mentioned that Jack Sawinski had four of them, but Reynolds and Mitchell also had three of them, and Cruz, and despite having a good day, but Cruz, Hayes, and and that and the left fielder, Greg Allen, I'll, I'll say his name. He's not. They all had two, but everybody in the lineup, even Michael Chavis, who only got one plate appearance, everyone struck out at least once. Jacob DeGrom's awesome. He had great stuff today. I get all that. It takes a great pitcher to have a great game. But it takes a great pitcher to have a great game against a struggling offense to set records, and that's what they did. They tied the record, 20 strikeouts in a single game, nine-inning game. This is baseball now. There's a lot of strikeouts. When you combine a lot of strikeouts with a guy like DeGrom, who had 13 of these strikeouts, And a guy like Jolie Rodriguez, who's been DFA'd like five times, I think, in his career. (laughs) But still, he had five strikeouts in two innings. But still, 20 strikeouts. And, I mean, when you add it up, in a four-game series, they had 50 strikeouts. But, like, that's not all. In in the other four-game series, they had a lot, too. They finished one week with 94 strikeouts. They're not last in the league, surprisingly, in strikeouts. This is part of baseball having a problem right now. They're not last, but they're pretty close. I think they're 29th. I'd have to pull that up again. But I'm pretty sure they're 29th in the league in strikeouts. And I think they're only like 20 or 30 away. And you can see that they just did a number there. I should probably actually look that up because that would be very interesting if because of today's performance, they went to now worse. But I can't remember if I looked that up afterwards or not. Strikeouts right here. They are, yeah, the Angels have over 1,400 strikeouts. The Pirates have 1,382. And the Atlanta Braves, who are playing for first place, have 1,345. That's what I'm saying. This is a baseball thing. But so there's still 20 strikeouts away from the Angels. And and they've played one more game than the Angels as well. So unless it's, you know, more 20 strikeout games, pretty good chance they're still there. But I wanted to compare this because last year, we know that this, this year's offense is actually better. But last year the Pirates were ranked sixth, the sixth least amount of strikeouts. And they did that while having 124 home runs, which is 20. 20 less home runs than the next team. And we talked about this, I think, last week or maybe the week before that or something, where the Pirates are actually ranked 20, no, 17th in home runs with 148. So they're striking out more. They're hitting the ball out more. There, there needs to be a level of that. <clears throat> you need to be able to keep hitting the home runs without the strikeouts. But yeah, so still 20, man, the, the Angels must strike out a ton. <laughs> they must strike out a ton. Couldn't imagine. Uh, and I just look at some of this stuff. Ranked the sixth uh best in strikeouts last year. Bring in a new hitting coach, and now they're 29th. I look at guys like O'Neill Cruz, who hits over 330 with no strikes. And I wonder if if the this whole Mr. Patient and watching a lot of pitches. I wonder if this is – I mean, we've questioned this before. Is this really working? Because it feels like it doesn't. It feels like O'Neill Cruz would be better off swinging at the first pitch. As a matter of fact, oh, my gosh, if I had that up. I don't have that up, and I'm not going to pull that up right now. <clears throat> when he swings at the first pitch, he's hitting like 360. Let the guy eat, man. Why do we got to do – I think each individual hitter is different in the way they are. O'Neill Cruz gets the two strikes. It's He's going he's gonna to be hard-pressed to hit consistently that way. That's that's just how it goes. These pitchers will eat you alive in this league once they get to two strikes, especially if they're ahead in the count. And and that proves it in the numbers when you look them up. And yet we're watching way too many early pitches and playing from behind so much that that it shows in the in the stat lines. It's terrible. Um Man, I know like I said, I know this is a baseball in general thing, but we're at the top of that list. So, we can't Let's try to uh let's try to pivot here. I need to I need to pivot a little bit. I need to get into something a little more positive. We are fans. Um Mitch Keller is continuing to impress me literally every time he goes out there. And I saw somebody talk about the game um, was it Friday night? Yeah, it was Friday night. I saw somebody talk about the game Friday night where, where they said it didn't work out. And I was like, no, I think it did. Because, yeah, we lost the game, but Mitch Keller in the sixth inning uh, walks, or beans a guy, right? He hits Canna, and he goes to first. Now we got first and second. And you got Guillorme coming up. And here comes Shelton. He's got five and two-thirds. He's given up three runs. He's got six strikeouts. Like It's a decent outing for him. And, man, I just felt like Shelton barely said anything. And you know they have their pose. Well, He asked me how I felt. Maybe, because I'm pretty sure Mitch Keller said the first thing. He had his hand over his mouth, and he was barking from the time Shelton got out there. And Shelton's answer to this whole thing was, he had a plan and I liked it, so I left him in. Basically, Mitch Keller was watching him, and when he didn't see him point, Sheldon was giving him a chance. Because if he points to the dugout, it's over. They have to do it. He didn't point, which means Sheldon was giving him an opportunity to talk him into staying in the game. And he did. And he went hard. He got a loss, but he got out of that inning. He went 97 on the corner. 97 right past him 98 in and off the plate and guy hit it off a handle a little blooper to the shortstop mitch keller went out there and took control of a situation with a plan and those are those moments you know i, I went on a little rabbit trail about how hard it would be to be to be excited about things at certain times but that right there would have fired me enough to get out of that inning Those infielders were probably like on a little extra ready to go right there. Not that they needed to be because it was a very easy play. And, I mean, three pitches, Keller was out of it. He only threw 84 pitches. So I felt like there wasn't a whole lot there as far as like he – I mean, he just nailed a dude. I'm pretty sure it was first pitch. And he was ready to go. So, I, you know, I don't uh, – I credit Mitch Keller for that. That moment there uh, impressed me a little bit about the way that he stayed in there. And and I got to tell you guys, man, I really wish, I really wish Jake, because, you know, Jake's been on Keller and he's, he has not given up on him. And he was very excited about this. Like he was pumped. And so it would have been fun to hear him really talk about this instead of me. But... um yeah, just a great moment for Mitch Keller. Um, I'm going to take a break here, but before I do, I was listening to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Um, and that's an MLB podcast. Uh, Mike Petriello, Matt Myers were, were on there talking. And they brought up O'Neill Cruz because, I mean, they obviously, you know, he's getting some attention nationally. Uh, you know, six foot seven shortstop playing, and he's hitting the ball ridiculous, uh, ridiculously hard and throwing it ridiculously fast. And those are things that you can see. Um, you know, we talked about this. The tools are there. All the tools exist. We just have to know how to use the tools. And, you know, we're hoping, and you know, we're seeing that he's developing into that. And this is kind of what they brought up. Uh, they were talking about how O'Neill Cruz was figuring things out and, you know, that the strikeouts are high, but it's something that he's actually becoming a productive player already. Um I'll let them do the talking since they know all those, you know, Mike Petriello is a smart dude. Um, But I also don't, I don't want to, I don't want to say everything that they were talking about Cruz because you should check out the, the podcast. It's a good podcast. Anyway, he brought up this statistic that I thought was wild. And it's just another one of those things that need called out. The pirates haven't had a 40 home run hitter since Willie Stargell in 1973. Brian Giles had 39 and 38 homer seasons. Giles and Bell had the 37 homer seasons. And Pedro Alvarez had 36 in 2013, which actually led the league, the national league, um, the only pirate to lead the league in home runs during that time, obviously. But since 1974, there have been 233 different 40 homer seasons and 19 seasons where a team had multiple 40 homer guys and the pirates haven't had one. The interesting thing that he brings this up about is because he's, he's asserting and hoping that Cruz can be that type of guy. And from what we've seen here in, if you could split his, his time here into two, even though it's not really two halves is he's certainly capable of it. If he continues to improve and even like imagine I mean the strikeout rate is high. It is high. He is a he's actually like a productive player currently. The overall season numbers don't look as as much so but um man runners in scoring position like the dude is hitting with two outs and runners in scoring position like the numbers are good. It's no lie like he's over 300. But uh, that's not what I'm talking about right now the idea is that he can be that kind of that guy who can, who can have a 40 homer season if he can figure it out. And if you're a pirate fan, I know there's a lot of things about O'Neal Cruz where no, he doesn't have it figured out. No, he's not the guy yet, but he sure shows off the tools. And if you're a pirates fan and you're not rooting for that, check yourself because he definitely has the tools more so than probably anyone else. Uh, since 1974 (laughs) has had the tools. I mean, that's just the truth of it. It's there. He just has to figure it out at this level, and he has to learn how to use those tools. And if he does, man, then it's going to be fun. But let me take a break here for a second, drink some more water, and um, we'll come back, and we're going to talk about one more thing, kind of like the uh, strikeout thing. Um, and then we'll, you know, take a look at the week and, and stuff like that. Thanks for listening to the bridge to bucktober podcast. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at bridge. The number two bucktober audio podcast available on your favorite podcast platform, video podcast available on YouTube. Follow us on the socials and subscribe to the podcast. If you're on Apple podcast, take a couple minutes for a review. We'll be right back. Swearingen Bat Company is Ohio's premier wood bat company, specializing in custom wood bats to meet any need from T-ball to senior league. Check out their website at swearingenbaseball.com. Link is in the show notes. Twitter and Instagram at Swearingen Bats. You can also find them on Facebook. Swearingen Bat Company, that's swearingenbaseball.com. Let them know you heard it here. And we're back here, Bridge to October podcast. You got the solo shot this week. Just me. So we talked about the strikeouts being a big problem. And the next thing that we have to talk about being a problem is of no surprise. And it happened a lot this week. And that was the errors. Eight games, seven errors. Way too many. It's a little bit weighted towards Sunday's game because there were four errors in Sunday's game. But this has still been you know, kind of an issue all season long. There's been a lot of errors and they've got to get cleaned up. And I don't know if there is, um, if there is specific, specifically like a, a, a earned run versus unearned run kind of thing in there. I, I should have looked that up. Maybe that would have been some good, something good to bring to this. If maybe I would have looked it up, like, what is it? Because, you know, like, how how bad it gets so i know that there's some things here we've talked about this before we've we've talked about errors before and i know that you know when these things are bad and they continue to be bad then yes we repeat ourselves so i know that we've talked about you know the the hand that you're dealt the guys who have been playing for this team and you know how some of them increase that number of errors but you know, Key Brian Hayes being at the top of that, and we talk about how this will this may end up as a career high for Key Brian Hayes, and that's fair. And he's putting up a stellar season in other defensive categories uh, or metrics uh, outside of errors. But that doesn't necessarily mean that he hasn't made those errors. He's definitely made those errors, and if he would be in the running for a gold glove because of all the other things he's leading in, the errors will keep him from winning that, uh, in my opinion. I I just I don't see that happening. Eventually, there has to be someone stepping in and developing better fielders. Defense is too important to pitching. It's not just... it. So in this scenario, when we talk about good defense versus bad defense and whether it's good for a pitcher or bad for a pitcher, the one thing I will say is the athleticism, the ability, exists. Rodolfo Castro is one of these guys... Uh, who, who is getting into error trouble? Even O'Neill Cruz's error today really probably should have been on Castro. The fact that he could reach it because he's six foot seven and the way he was moving, the error goes on Cruz because he could have caught it. Uh, but if that ball's fed better, you know, it, it changes that whole play. It really could have been three errors on Castro today. But. Eventually, it's got to get cleaned up. Um, Former management of the Pirates gave up on Aramis Ramirez because of his defense. And we saw what he was able to do. First off, his defense was cleaned up as he aged to passable defense, at least. And his offense was stellar. I mean, that's... I know we like to talk about the Archer trade because it was more recent, but... The Aramis Ramirez trade trade is is has to be the worst. It has to be the worst. But, but Rodolfo Castro is a good example because his error trouble, um, is exactly why, you know, I like him, but I have him considered as like a backup or a DH role. Um, the bat's there, but the errors are are going to be an issue. The athleticism and the ability exists. But consistency is a big part of being good at something, right? It's not like, am I able to do it? Yes, Rodolfo Castro is capable of playing second base, which is his best position and the position that he's played most. But consistency tells you whether or not he's actually good at playing it, not whether he can, because he's already made some plays that are, that you open your eyes and say, that was a really great play. Certainly, O'Neill Cruz falls into the same category. He has the ability to make all of those plays. It's just the matter of consistently making those plays makes you a good shortstop or a good defensive player, no matter what position you're playing. But we've gotten a lot of errors, even from Jason DeLay at Catcher. Like he hasn't been here very long. I think he has like seven errors. Is that number right? Yes, he has seven errors. Castro with two of them today. And like I said, Cruz with the missed catch, which really should have been, in my opinion, should have been on on Castro. But this this is not a give up, like I said about the Air Mr. Ramirez thing. It's not a give up on the guy thing. This is literally just get somebody in there. Kevin Newman went from making a lot of errors to not making hardly any errors in an offseason when he was able to put in some work. I'm not giving up on these guys. This is something that can be done. They just need to make it happen. And these guys are certainly not too old for that ship to have been sailed either. Like, these are young guys. They can figure this out. Defense, putting the ball in play, two very important things that this team just doesn't do. And in order to make another step forward, that's that's just one of the things they're going to have to get done moving forward as far as development. What's next? How do you actually if you do if you get other players, hopefully those players can do these sort of things. So I think that's like mostly all I have and and I'm going to begin to wrap this up and I realize that it's not going to be as long as it normally is. But there's a couple things There was some scheduling things this year that I've had a problem with. How do the Pittsburgh Pirates not have a baseball game on July 4th? We talked about that. That's ridiculous. The second thing is, is you have Roberto Clemente Day. You know what day it is every single year. There's absolutely no reason for the Pirates not to be the home team on Roberto Clemente Day. There's no reason for that. It should be every year. You look at it. The Reds get opening day at home every year. Just about. Every year they get it. And there are other players. Oh, we'll do this. We'll do... There's no reason why the Pirates should not be home on Roberto Clemente Day. They should be home every year. It should be in the schedule. How do we work around this? They have to be home here. Figure it out. Can't be that hard. You get in a room full of smart people and you put it in. You probably got a computer program that does it for them. Put in all the conditions. That's one of them. The computer will figure it out. It's not going to return an error. Figure that out. And then we got tomorrow off. This is a much less serious thing. But Monday is talk like a pirate day. And we don't even have a Pittsburgh Pirates game. I don't know. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe we're gonna get maybe we're gonna get the uh maybe we're gonna get a lot of sarcasm tomorrow. Talk like a pirate day, there's gonna be a lot of sarcasm, I bet. Part of that shaming Pirates fans for being Pirates fans. How dare you like the Pirates on the cusp of their third straight 100 loss season, which I've said before is very hard to do, to lose that. And I know they didn't lose 100 in 2020, but they were on pace for it. The winning percentage is there. So it's bad enough. Let me throw some music on here just to do it. Why not? Let's get through some... uh, What's coming up this week here? Pirates obviously have Talk Like a Pirate Day off because that makes sense. And then we're in New York, which we're already in New York. We're already in New York. Could have just, you know, probably stayed in the same hotel and played the Yankees the next day. I don't know if the Yankees are in New York. That's unfair for me to say without even looking. Either way, The Yankees for two. And we gotta remember that Aaron Judge just hit his 59th home run. And there's two games there, Tuesday, Wednesday. 61 was, that's the Roger Maris number. That's still the American League record. All these other guys who've hit over that were all National League players. So some McGuire Bonds, you know what I mean? And so here we are. Two games. Can he hit two home runs and tie the American League record? I mean, it's possible we could see that. Let's hope they don't. Just for our sake, just for Pirates fans' sake, it'd be nice to, to split a two-game series there. And then Thursday through Sunday, all against the Cubs. This is the last. This is the last homestand uh weekend there's there's another homestand there's there's four against the cubs three against the reds we go to st louis come back to play st louis three more times but they're in the weekday and the the reds are the weekdays too so this is the last weekend games this weekend friday saturday sunday they are against the cubs which means they actually have a chance of winning obviously it's baseball you have a chance of winning every day but you know what i'm saying Doug Drabeck Cy Young Bobblehead. Listen, if anyone here is going to the game and they don't want or they're taking somebody else who doesn't care to have a Doug Drabeck Cy Young Bobblehead. This has been a super weird, weird week here. The whole family being sick and everything. I was hoping to plan a trip back home to go to the game, and I I just don't know if it's in the cards. I I, I made a couple phone calls. Um, to see if some people were available. And I, I'm just not sure. That I'll make it. Hit me up on Twitter. At Bridge to October, The number two. And let me know if you're going to the game. Because. If you're willing to part. With a, with a Doug Drabeck Cy Young bobblehead. I might be your guy to get that. It would go pretty well on my. I don't know which way to turn. Actually you can't really see any of that stuff. I've got the the Sandlot Funkos up there. but I do have a Andy Van Slyke back there. Andy Van Slyke, Roberto Clemente, Andrew McCutcheon, and Ken Griffey Jr. So, those are my bobbleheads. Actually, the the Clemente is not a, a bobblehead. But anyway, that Doug Drayback one, man. When I was a kid, I had it. Short on the sides. Come on, any of you other kids, I've already said in this podcast once I'm 39 so if you're close if you're close to this age you know what I'm talking about I had the lines in the side two or three I don't remember I had the lines though we did the lines in both sides here in the front I think I I think uh, Little League I'm thinking so I think I spiked it on the top but you know with the hat on obviously that doesn't matter but I did <clears throat> I did spike it every once in a while but I had it long in the back here and, it, and at the bottom, it curled, you know, right back in the back. It curled a little bit. I'll have to see if there's a picture of that somewhere. So I actually probably will not share that, but I might. Big glasses, 90s glasses, you know what I mean? But anyway, that we called it the Doug Drabeck haircut because he always had that hair in the back. It wasn't quite as full as his, but with that little curl and everything. That's what my mom called it was the Doug Drabeck haircut. So Doug Drabeck Scion bobblehead, I'd be all about it. I'd be all about it. Let me know if you're if you're gonna have one, and uh, maybe we can figure out a way to to hook me up with that Cy Young bobblehead. That'd be great. Uh Or shoot, I don't know. I don't. I don't think. I don't think I can make it back because I think there's some other things lining up. I was gonna say maybe we can just catch a game, but I I I, I don't know if I can make it back. But. Hit me up on Twitter. We'll we'll chat about the Doug Drabeck, Cy Young Bobblehead. That'd be great. Um, I know me and Jake usually say, How's this week gonna go? That's six games. Um three and three, unfortunately. I'm gonna split on both of them because they're even numbers. That's the way I always am. I don't I could very easily see us the two game sweep in New York. Um, do we know who's pitching those games yet? That's usually the big question. Do we know who's pitching Tuesday? Uh, Tuesday, no. Cortez is going for them, and he's been so good. But he is a lefty. And then Severino is going against Roanze. I could see that being a win there. So maybe Luis Ortiz is going to go on Tuesday. Um, And then obviously we don't know Anything about the Cubs series and who's going to go there, but you got to think, you know, two and two be great if they turn it around and, and play, have, have another great series there. But um, they keep striking out and making errors, <laughs> it's not going to work out well for them. Um, yeah, that's all I have. Listen, guys, um, we made it through. I mean, obviously knew we would because I was going to sit here and do this regardless but you made it through if you're still listening and I appreciate that because it is so much easier to do this when you have someone to argue with or throw in some extra things and I can get more to drink like I feel like every time I take a drink like right now there's just that silence there And I know that it just, it doesn't fill the air very well. But that's okay. There are others who are better than I am that do this by themselves. Kudos to them. But either way, we're winding down here. What is it, 15, 16 games left? It's real close. I think we'll all, uh... For me, it's always bittersweet when they have these bad years because I want to watch baseball. But... And and I know there will be playoffs and I will watch the playoffs, but you know, I'm a pirates fan. I want to see the pirates in the playoffs. And I just don't know when that's gonna happen again. And so that's what we're here rooting for. I'm gonna be super cheesy and say, Thanks for being on the bridge to Bucktober, whenever that is, with us. So that's all I have, guys. And yes, let's continue to be pirate fans because that is our team. Let's go Bucks. Thanks for listening to my dad and Uncle Jake on the Bridge to Bucktober podcast. Follow them on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Bridge the Number Two Bucktober. Don't forget to subscribe so you know when new episodes are released. Clear the deck! Cannonball coming, and let's go, bucks!